It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, you can subscribe, of course, as always, at thepetecalendarshow.com or on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Um, yeah, it's, it should be a button right there. You just click it, and then the podcast just comes right to your smartphone every single day. Um, want to thank uh, patrons of the program, like Richard and Bill and Robin and Andy, John, Billy, Lou, Grant, Ashley, Sarah, and Barry and patrick and shan they are all patrons and that means by the way they got the uh the exclusive look at the great migration that has been occurring (laughs) over the last well it was supposed to be we were supposed to be moving right now but it didn't happen christy and i we got our house and we were supposed to be moving in and it didn't happen closing got delayed and then delayed and then delayed And so uh, we're still here. So I shot a video of the apartment with all of the boxes in it. So uh, that's over at the Patreon page. And you can get there by going to where? ThePeteCallenderShow.com and becoming a patron. Uh, So there's a fellow named Andrew Dunn. I think I've read one of his works before. He is now doing some, I think he's he's working for Carolina Journal now. But um, he used to be a reporter uh, down at the Charlotte Observer and... um, yeah, I think it was the Charlotte Observer. And uh, he then did a stint for the lieutenant governor, Dan Forrest, if I recall correctly, at the former lieutenant governor, as his uh, comms guy. And so I've worked sort of with Andrew over the years, you know, booking lieutenant governor Forrest and that sort of thing and reading his work. But he's got a Substack newsletter. And for folks who aren't aware, Substack is basically like a podcast, but for writers. Uh, and you know, you send this thing out and you can subscribe and you get access to different levels of content. And so he's got one called Long Leaf Politics. And again, I think I read from one of his pieces, it's probably like about a week or so ago, I want to say. And uh, he's got another piece that posted on July 5th. And the headline is, Can $5.6 billion really solve North Carolina's education problems? And this gets to a topic that we've covered a couple times over the last few months as well with Dr. Terry Stoops from the John Locke Institute or uh, John Locke Foundation uh, and uh, about the Leandro case. This is the school funding lawsuit that was brought by uh, parents and then uh, got added onto by like school districts all over the state suing for more resources. And this gives us the ruling that North Carolina has to provide a sound basic education. It's the constitutional right, state constitutional right of all the kids, and the state has to do this. And so they've been fighting for darn near 30 years now over this, uh, this funding lawsuit. And a couple of uh, months ago, we had a ruling from a Superior Court judge that's now hearing the case because the previous judge retired. He'd been hearing it so long. And so now this other judge has taken it up and uh, he has basically threatened the General Assembly. You're going to uh, fund K-12 education at the level that I demand you fund it at, or I guess we're going to have a constitutional crisis because the judiciary does not have the power to set funding levels. That's the legislative branch. That's their job, as it's spelled out in the Constitution. Now, I would also point out here that the General Assembly is not a party to the lawsuit. They're not named defendants. It's a lawsuit brought by various entities, organizations, school districts, and the like against 
the uh, the governor, the Department of Public Instruction, the State Board of Education, the Attorney General is representing these parties, but the the legislature is not a named party. So I'm not sure how a third party, not even involved in the lawsuit, can be forced to fund education levels at a uh, a number that the judge in the case determines. Now he didn't just pick the number out of thin air, the judge. No, um, he allowed a, a consultant to pick a number out of thin air. That's how we got the. <laughs> that's how we got the number. No, no, no. Of course, they did lots of research, due diligence, and the like. So here is Andrew Dunn's piece at Longleaf Politics, or portions of it, I should say. And if you you can read, I'm only going to give you the highlights here. It's a really good piece. He's got a bunch of other topics that he covers as well. You should check it out at longleafpolitics.substack.com. And I believe this is free. I think this was open access to everybody. And I have it linked up at the the Patreon account as well for all of my subscribers. They get access to the prep sheet uh, every single day. Anyway, here's what he says. This year... There's just one number that matters in the budget debate, and it's $5.6 billion. That's the price tag on the consultant-driven plan that promises to fix North Carolina's public education system once and for all. The General Assembly's proposed budget largely ignores this plan, but a Superior Court judge has promised to force the state to pay for it. The problem is, we already know the plan won't work. A virtually identical plan has already been tried and failed in the state's largest city. North Carolina simply can't buy student achievement. The real answer is a whole lot harder than that. This was interesting. I Because this actually, this plan, this was down in Charlotte, and uh, it was implemented just as I left Charlotte and came to Asheville. So I missed this uh, this test run, basically, of this type of funding uh, plan. And so he goes through the history of the sound basic education ruling and the Leandro case and all of that. But the consultant report comes from an organization called West Ed. So if you hear the West Ed report, that's what it's a reference to. West Ed is the consultant in the Leandro case. Leandro was the name of the student in the uh, the family that sued initially. So this Westhead reports like 300 pages. It has recommendations that are actually closer to $7 billion in new spending. The Cooper administration, they put out a report um, or sorry, they turned that report, he says, into uh, an, a virtually identical action plan, albeit with a slightly smaller price tag of $5.6 billion. The main recommendations are pretty straightforward ensuring every classroom has a you know good teacher, every school has a good principal, and spending more money on students uh, with the most challenges. Last month, the Superior Court judge that's overseeing this um, threatened to take action to compel the state to follow the West Ed plan. And the potential here is that he holds the General Assembly in contempt, which I don't even know what that looks like. Like the whole body? Like all of the lawmakers, they're all in contempt of court or something, even the Democrats or what? Like this is it's kind of weird. Uh, and the judge specifically says you should do the budget uh, proposal for K-12 education. You should do what the Democrats are proposing because the Democrats took the West Ed plan and they just basically introduced it as a piece of legislation. And the governor's budget basically took the West Ed plan and did the same. And so the judge is like, Republicans, you should totally do that. And if you don't, I will. Again, not clear how he actually will do that. He doesn't have the ability to pass legislation. He's just a judge. 
Okay, so doing this, uh, says Andrew Dunn, he's correct here, he says it would create a constitutional crisis. The General Assembly holds the purse strings in North Carolina. Can a judge essentially allocate money on his own? Let's set that aside, though, for a minute. He says the more important question is whether following this report would actually achieve the results it promises. The thesis is clear, right? Money is the main impediment holding North Carolina back from accomplishing its duties. This is always, by the way, whenever I get into discussions with uh, with people generally about anything education related, usually you get down to this argument about money. That's usually what it comes down to. And they usually are arguing with me because they want to spend more. And so at some point, inevitably, I get to a point where I ask them, um, what's the optimal amount of money here? And you can ask them per pupil, like what's the optimal per pupil expenditure number that it would require to put all kids at or above grade level. And I've never had an answer for this. The closest anybody ever comes is the national average. That's where they'll say, well, whatever the national average is. Mostly it's because people don't know what the average per pupil expenditure is nationally or in North Carolina, right? They, don't, they just don't know. Um, and when you tell them that it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10,000 when you include operations and expenses, usually people are like, oh, okay, well, that's a lot. People don't really realize that we spend that kind of money per kid per year on K-12 education. Is, do you think that's a good deal? 10K, roughly? Um, so that's the first number. The second number is usually when you're talking about this, you get into teacher pay. So, all right, what's the optimal teacher pay? What should we be paying the average teacher in the state? And you usually don't get an answer there. Sometimes you'll get the national average, and they don't know what the national average is. But invariably the argument is the same right it is we need more money because more money will solve this problem and andrew dunn's piece sort of lays bare that lie i will tell you more about that in a second first i'm going to tell you about general equipment rental which is where you need to go for all of your equipment rental needs big stuff small stuff power tools uh you know like heavy machinery all at scaffolding so not even machinery at all just like scaffolding ladders and stuff um you can get it all at general equipment rental uh for whatever project you're trying to do whether it's around the house or you're maybe you're a contractor and uh, you don't want to go out and buy a massive piece of equipment you just need it for one or two jobs and then you just rent their tools you rent their equipment you do the uh, do your job and then return them and everybody wins uh they will show you how to use the stuff too don't worry uh they're very good about that they have excellent customer service they've got uh, great pricing as well and quality equipment and if you're looking to buy some stuff uh like outdoor power equipment they're your source for that as well husqvarna and honda they're the official dealers here uh in weaverville they're at the intersection of merriman avenue and reams creek road uh, they are family owned and operated they have been for three generations Okay, so go where I went when I got my uh, weed eater, uh, General Equipment Rental. Go check out the deals and the inventory at generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. All right, so Andrew Dunn's piece at his uh, substack uh, called longleafpolitics.substack.com. He uh, he leaves aside this question, the constitutional question of uh, can a judge actually force the legislature to adopt spending levels for K-12 education, um, even if you have a ruling that the state has to provide this sound basic education? But set that aside. Will the money actually work? Is this a good plan? 
And and by the way, the legislature has never had a chance to examine the plan to rip it apart and dissect it to vet it uh, because they were not party to the lawsuit, as I said. And when they invited the judge to come in and talk with them about it, the judge refused. So uh, what can we look at here to kind of get a gauge on whether or not this kind of a plan might actually work? Well, Andrew Dunn points out West Charlotte High School. Once the pride of the city, a diverse and high-achieving school that served as a national model of integration. But when controversial forced busing policies met their end and neighborhood schools became the norm, West Charlotte began to serve one of the most impoverished populations in the district. So this is when I actually became a reporter. I was down there in Charlotte uh, at at this time when uh, the busing order was lifted. And they said that uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg School was no longer required to bus kids based on race, that the last vestiges of racism had uh, fallen away and that the school board was no longer racist. Contrary to what the school board members were arguing, the black Democratic majority was saying we cannot be trusted uh, to, to not be racist. So um, they lost, by the way. And so the, the busing ended. And when that happened, now they had to do all of these student reassignments. A lot of the school board members kept trying to bus kids based on they tried to use socioeconomic status. But at the end of the day, you know, people want to send their kids to a school that's near their home because it's near their home. And that I mean, that is usually the case. They don't want to have their kid on a bus for an hour and a half, you know, in the morning and in the afternoon. Uh, They would like to have their kids close by. So it just makes everything easier. This is, again, as you know, one who is uh, not a fan at all of the K-12 government run education model. This is one of the problems with it is that everybody orders their lives around this government institution and uh, it dictates everything. From when you take vacations to where you buy, where you buy your house, how much extra money you have to spend on other things, like all of these, uh, all of these impacts occur because people rely on the government and the government K twelve school system. Okay, so uh, you you get rid of the busing, and so now these schools start turning into essentially neighborhood schools. Starting in the early two thousands, there was a string of superintendents. I remember them. It was. Uh, what, Pusley, but he came after Eric Smith. So it was Eric Smith, Jim Pusley, um, Peter Gorman, and there. then there was somebody else after that, and I was gone by then. But there was multiple, just a procession of these superintendents, and they all pitched their plans to help the struggling school and its students succeed. The most ambitious plan launched in 2012, it was called Project Lift. CMS and local nonprofits raised more than $55 million for a program to boost West Charlotte High School and all of its feeder elementary and middle schools. Okay, so $55 million just for West Charlotte High and the schools that fed into West Charlotte High, right, from from the assignment perspective. And um, the strategies that they employed, according to Andrew Dunn, mirror the West Ed report almost to the letter. The millions of dollars went to bring in top principals, top teachers, give the best teachers the opportunity for more impact and pay, hire more counselors, more uh, support staff, equip every student with technology, expand after school and summer programs. Project Lift started with a bang but ended with a whimper. 
Six years later, the program closes up shop as an abject failure. Virtually no improvement detected across any of the 23 schools. So what's the answer here? You know me, I'm all about solutions. He goes on to say later in the piece, schools need parents in the literal sense. A core group of dedicated parents is critical to helping a school and its students succeed. It's true in the figurative sense as well. Schools need somebody to love them, to serve them, to guide them, to hold them accountable, to correct them if necessary, right? Because look, and I totally understand this. When I criticize a particular school or a school district or a school policy, people recognize that it's coming from a position of, um, well, I don't want to say animus, but I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I want there to be a uh, a, a demonopolized K-12 education model in America. I want more choice. I think there should be government schools, but only as sort of a safety net. Um, if they can compete, great. If they cannot, they die. They go away. Um, And people who are pro K-12 government school and their advocates and activists on that front, they recognize that my criticism is going to be coming from a position of uh, destruction versus building up. Okay, so I recognize I'm not the best person to provide these types of solutions. But parents who are totally on board with GovCo, you know, teaching their kids everything, they can buy in. Right. And they need to. And he gives the example of Shamrock Gardens Elementary School in East Charlotte. This was actually the school I lived right down the street from for uh, several years, would vote down there. I remember the the local parents, they were all organizing. It was one of the lowest performing schools in the state. It was on the verge of a of a state takeover he says a group of parents stepped up i think her name was pamela grundy if i remember correctly um and they they committed to supporting the teachers they ran extracurriculars they funded field trips teachers began to stick around longer student achievement improved five miles south at another school mcclintock middle they found themselves in pretty much the same boat but in uh, 2007 The superintendent at the time, Peter Gorman, called on the faith community to get involved in the public schools, and Christ Lutheran Church answered that call. They committed to tutoring and mentoring students, um, and over time, the program, he says, evolved into a program that brings families and volunteers together from throughout the school community for a Tuesday evening club and activity night. UNC Charlotte researchers have studied the program and found that chronic absenteeism dropped as a result and that student achievement rose. The West Ed plan that is being forced upon the state, it doesn't touch on any of that. Doesn't does not include any of these strategies. In fact, he says, it barely mentions parents at all. So is that really a recipe for success? Is this really how you're going to close the achievement gap between uh, different demographics of students? Is this really how you're going to improve performance? Is this the answer? It doesn't seem like the answer. It's just more money. Because why? Because it grows the system. And the people who are invested in that system becoming more powerful and more wealthy they are the ones who are lobbying for that growth. And they use kids to make the case, right? It's one of the only lines of work where you can put the kid up there and say, you need to give me more money or else your child here isn't going to do well. And in the and look at the research. It, it's not actually the case. It's not actually the case. 
there are other things that are involved in improving education and you know performance and it's not the money you get to a point where there's no discernible improvement in test scores or any of the other metrics there's no improvement after you hit a certain number and by the way like there is a number I want to say it's around, if memory serves, it was around the $7,000 per student uh, spending mark. Once you hit that number, anything above that, it, it's it's just kind of wasted. There's no additional benefit for an increase above that number. But nobody wants to talk about that because these are things that government can't do and people don't get empowered. Government, bureaucrats, educrats, they don't get empowered by uh, these types of investments. If you've got a church volunteering and doing all of this stuff on their own who's empowered there it's not the k-12 educratic establishment it's not they're not getting any extra power out of that the parents are the kids are the church is the community is that's why it's not part of the plan don't believe me you don't have to believe me here's the nea the national education uh or sorry the national educators association the teachers union they held their annual meeting and at their annual meeting you know they go over all of these proposals they have all sorts of you know motions that are made and things to take up and refer to committee and all this other stuff and i have their list from their meeting i've got the business items that they went over and they voted on and the stuff that they're voting on for the most part it's not really going to move the needle on stuff it's good for social justice warrior stuff don't get me wrong good politics for them but not so great for the kids. I'm going to go into that in a minute. First, you need to go into one of the stores that Mattress Man has in Asheville or Arden or Hendersonville. And uh, by the way, if you're worried that like, I'm not sure what my uh, my credit history is like if I want to go in there and get a mattress, you don't even have to worry about that. You can go to their website first. Go to mattressmanstores.com and there's a link at the top. It says financing and you click that bad boy and then you can apply and you can get pre-approved and then you know before you even walk in what kind of mattress you're going to be able to get, right? And they've got great deals on awesome mattresses. And uh, like Synchrony Finance will give you zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They've got tons of other flexible financing options. So don't worry if your history, your credit history is not so great. It's okay. They're going to work with you because a good night's sleep is too important. It really is. They want you to have a good night's sleep. And you can get a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore Collection mattress um, this is part of their July 4th sale. It's extended, so go take advantage of it at mattressmanstores.com or walk on into any of their four stores, locally owned and operated. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. So the National Education Association, in coordination with national partners, NEA state and local affiliates, racial justice advocates, allies and community activists shall build powerful education communities and continue our work together to eradicate institutional racism in our public school system by doing the following and then it lists a whole bunch of stuff this was the uh, new business item a this was the big deal that they did at their uh, annual meeting they're going to eradicate institutional racism in our public school system which is run by them <laughs> anybody ever notice this like the people who are telling us that these institutions are racist they're the ones that run the institutions 
So they want to they want to establish a task force because, of course, you got to have a task force. I did not see, by the way, I read through all of this. It's like six pages. <clears throat> I read through it all, and I don't see any reference to blue ribbons. I'm not sure what we are to make of that. Uh, is my understanding that a blue ribbon task force or commission somehow gets better results, but I digress. Um, they want to set up a task force that identifies the criteria for safe, just, and equitable schools, including exploring the role of law enforcement in education. <laughs> so I guess we've got to take all the school resource officers out of the schools now. Is that the idea? Take the cops out of the schools because, well, yeah, you can't arrest kids for doing stuff if there are no cops at the school. Makes sense to me. Why have this is we, we get through the looking glass on some of these like these. These are so-called progressives, right? I mean, honestly, guys, I remember when there was the big push to get SROs in the schools because the idea was if you have a cop that's there all the time, they build relationships with the students, and they're more likely to be in tune with what's going on and who the players are and who's getting bullied and all of that. But now what? We want to just maybe delink this? Maybe some social workers with without guns? What's going to happen? I shouldn't say this, but I mean honestly, like when you have a when you have a a school shooter situation, then what? That was that. How quickly we forget? It's only been like two years, right? Three years since. The Florida, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, uh, shooting down in Florida. And people were talking about how do we harden the targets? How do we get more cops without, you know, without guns? We don't want more guns. We don't want more security, but we need more security. And all of that debate, I guess it's all gone now because we want equitable, just and safe schools or something. Um, they want police free schools. This is one of the, th- the task force will craft an association wide plan in consultation with leaders of current police free school movements this is what the teachers union at a national level is looking to do and it, and i understand that north carolina does not have a nea you know collective bargaining unit uh, union here but they do have an nea affiliate and that is the ncae they just don't have collective bargaining rights but it's a union right that's why i always refer to them as you know don't call it a union union because i was like we're an association we're not a union yeah, yeah you are you guys were you guys were formed at an NEA annual meeting. Okay, so you are part of that organization. You just don't have the collective bargaining rights. Uh, what else do they want? Uh, compile current data that documents the criminalization of native students and students of color. So they're going to gather data, uh, the disparities in appropriate staffing with mental health professionals and caring educators. So you need to find the caring educators, which meant, you know, my natural question is, why are you hiring uncaring educators? Like, who's been doing that? Maybe we should name some of these people that are not caring. No, 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 you can't name people. It's the institution, you see. It's a very convenient way to argue this stuff. What else are they going to do? Supporting and leading campaigns that advocate for just funding formulas that remedy pervasive resource disparities based upon race, income, and geographic wealth patterns and advocate for no-cost higher education. So free college for everybody. What else do they want? Achieving robust staffing levels. They talk about training specific school personnel to be full-time restorative practice coordinators and providing all school employees with professional development around cultural responsiveness, implicit bias, anti-racism, 
trauma-informed practices, restorative justice practices, and other racial justice trainings. Very slowly at first, and then very quickly, the march through the institutions, training educators to lead on equity and racial justice. Yeah, but we're, it's not being taught in the schools, everybody. They have no, they're not doing it. They're not planning on it. It's not anything at all. You guys are just like making all of this up. Oh, and by the way, we're totally going to do this. <laughs> right. They're liars. They've been lying to you. They've been lying to media. Media has been lying to you as well. This stuff is going on. The trainings are occurring. It's a praxis which is the Marxist term, the praxis, it's the, the pedagogy, uh, it's the method of teaching. It's not necessarily that they're teaching you critical race theory, it's just the theory and the anti-racism stuff, and it's all of those components, all of the roots and the branches, all of that stuff, it's all, peda- uh, it's, it's all pedagogy. It's how you teach the kids this stuff, and it's all through the racial lens. It's all through the CRT lens. They are, by the way, their first response or the first response yeah, to the uh, uh, to the attacks on CRT was that it's not happening. Now they're saying um, that, that then quickly like, well, you guys, it's not happening at all. And then it's like, well, it, w- what we're doing is not really CRT, but it is kind of related. And now it's like, screw you, we're doing this. That's where they're at now. <laughs> they're now passing resolutions like we're totally going to do this. This is what is coming in this list of all of the business items from the NEA's uh, annual meeting. Now, I will say if you are a uh, teacher, um, not that you have to be in the NEA, but if you are a teacher, uh, you uh, can actually keep some of your uh, realtor commissions if you're buying or selling a home. If you use Rowena Patton in her all-star powerhouse team, uh, the website is mountainhomehunt.com, but she is the only official... Homes for Heroes real estate agent in the Asheville area. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. Uh, and it goes to uh, educators as well as healthcare professionals and uh, veterans, so active duty, retiree, military, uh, also police officers and firefighters. So keep more of your own money buying or selling a house. Call Rowena Patton, the only agent I would call and did. Her number is 828 333 4483. That's 828 828- 333-4483 and again mountainhomehunt.com so a couple of the other items they went through a bunch i think they had like 60 total items on their agenda that people voted on or yeah they voted on and approved or they sent to the relevant committees um so here's one a new business item one nea shall use its public facing websites including educationvotes.nea.org to publicly promote and affirm its commitment to access voting and that state legislatures should not implement policies that overturn the will of the voters. Additionally, it's going to partner with external organizations in a public-facing national campaign to educate the public about voting that includes state-based lobbying language to condemn all efforts to limit the rights of voters to have full access to the ballot box. So they're going to be all in on the disenfranchising Jim Crow 2.0 narratives. Uh, They also voted to uh, research the uh, organizations attacking educators doing anti-racist work. So they're going to start doxing groups. (laughs) This is what the NEA is going to do. They're they're targeting parents for caring about what their kids are being taught in the schools. Uh, They want to use research already done and put together a list of resources and recommendations for state affiliates 
for local unions, the locals, and individual educators to utilize when they are attacked. So this is their response to the attacks. The research, the resources, the recommendations will be shared with members through NEA social media, uh, an article in their publication, NEA Today, and they're going to do some sort of a webinar as well. So keep an eye out for that. The NEA is going to start pushing out uh, pro-CRT materials. This did not, I will say, this did not get approved. This one, next one here, got voted down, that it'll provide support uh, to state affiliates in establishing and implementing a process to collect and distribute funds earmarked to pay educators who do volunteer anti-racist work. So they're not going to pay anybody <laughs> extra money for doing the anti-racism work, but we're totally going to give you some material. We're going to do like a campaign stuff, maybe some brochures, but we're not paying you any extra money, not out of our coffers. We're not paying you for the anti-racism work. Um, what else? This this one did get approved. Business item five. The NEA will use existing materials to educate its state and local affiliates and members about the dangers of anti-transgender legislation targeting transgender youth in sports and or restricting their access to gender affirming health care. So, again, aligning themselves with the Democrats on all of this stuff. Um, let me see here. Do, do, let me skip ahead to the next one. Eighteen. Yeah, new bit. Oh, no, sorry. 13. This one failed. This measure failed. NEA will form and lead a committee of 12 to 15 people that will include members from some of the other large national unions in the country to discuss and address the issue of police unions. (laughs) So they wanted to go after the cops. The committee will ensure that racial justice is always centered in its discussions because that's what you do. You center you got to centering. If you hear this word now, this is all the buzzword now. It's like synergy was. Now it's centering. We need to be centering the right people. In other words, don't talk about anybody else. This actually came up in that uh, the controversy over the Living History Museum in Mecklenburg County, the Latta Plantation, where the guy who created the event wanted to have all these different diverse viewpoints and stuff talk about uh, the emancipation of the slaves and stuff. And people were like, how dare you? You should only center one demographic in that discussion. That's it. So it's, it's just another way of saying exclude. <laughs> um, so they want to they want to center uh, uh, the racial justice in these discussions and efforts that, and want to make efforts uh, to distinguish between police unions and the rest of the labor movement. In other words, we're the real unions. We're the real labor movement. The cop unions are not. The committee will make recommendations to the labor movement on what role we should play in putting an end to police unions ability to protect violent cops, harmful policing practice and racist policies that too often lead to the terrorizing and deaths of our students and their family members. So they're, they're going to go after the police. Well, they were going to, but that got voted down. So a moment of clarity and sanity at the NEA, credit where it is due. Here's uh, also some credit where it's due. Old Grouch's military surplus. Uh, if you're looking for real U.S. military surplus, great prices on it, great gear, then you go to Old Grouch's in downtown Clyde on Main Street. Um, he has got tons of stuff from duffel bags and MREs, backpacks. Uh, he's got camp stuff. He's got rain ponchos, ammo cans, uh, which are getting harder to find, by the way. Not as hard as 
body armor to find. That's really hard to find. But every now and again, Tim at Old Grouches, he, he scores some body armor. So you just got to keep checking back with him. And uh, he drop in or give him a call at the shop uh, or check out his website. Uh, he's got gun accessories as well. He's got the first responder kits now, which are great for scout groups or small business owners or sports teams. You know, you want to have all of this stuff. It's got like more than like 350 components inside of the bag. And um, so you're going to be covered. You're going to be able to respond to whatever kind of emergency might arise. And you got the tools to help you maybe save a life, you know, uh, or just the day. You could just maybe save the day. Your source for real U.S. military surplus, Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. Uh, all righty, so what else do we have here in the list of stuff that they passed? And they passed a lot of things. You can get a whole list. I've got it linked at the Pete page um, at the Patreon account under the prep sheet. Um, so here are just the highlights. Number 18, the NEA shall identify, compile, and share on its NCED communities existing, quote, decolonizing the curriculum resources. <laughs> this is... I'm not sure for all of the years that I have been a critic of the K-12 government model. It has not moved the needle at all. Like, really, I don't think I have convinced any parent anywhere or any elected official anywhere to, like, get kids out of public schools and to reimagine the whole K-12 model. I'm not successful. I've not been successful at all over the years. The NEA and the teachers unions, they've been far more successful at this over the last year than I have been in 20. So, again, credit where it is due. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, do, 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 they're going to provide these resources, decolonizing the curriculum resources to educators seeking to be anti-racist in their classrooms. And you, this is, by the way, the code language, the dog whistles, if you will, that the progressives are using, that racists are using. This is racism. It's it, it, this anti-racism garbage. I've gone over this many, many times on different shows over the last year or so. Um, the anti-racism. This is Ibram X. Kendi, uh, who just speaks in word salad, circular logic. It's like I've I've watched now videos of him and he doesn't ever answer anybody's questions. He doesn't provide solutions to anything. Um, but anyway, I'm going down sort of the rabbit hole here. I'm not I'm not trying to get into the CRT stuff or the anti-racism stuff. It's just just as a philosophy, what they are saying is that there is only racist and anti-racist. And uh, if you are not anti-racist, then like you have to be. Uh, you got to be tearing down these institutions of racism. And if you are not, uh, then you're a racist, right? Because anti-racism requires you to work, to do the work of tearing down the institutions that are all inherently racist. And if you're not doing the work with the anti-racists, then you are racist, even if you don't know it. Yeah, even if you don't know it. Um, So this is now going to be embedded into the classrooms. What else here? Uh, Oh, here are a couple items that did not pass. Uh, Item 29, they say that they're going to publicize their support for the Palestinian struggle for justice. (laughs) (laughs) To weigh in on the the Israeli-Palestinian issue, the NEA. Again, credit where it is due, (laughs) they did not pass this. Um, 
They say to, uh, to to stop arming and supporting Israel and Saudi Arabia. The NEA will further publicize its support for refugee status for the millions of people across the region uh, who are forced to move and seek refuge for themselves and their families. Uh, now, they did refer... Hang on, let me skip ahead here to the very last page because they did refer to a uh, committee, a series of directives here. Do, 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 yeah, here we go. Um Use existing digital communication tools to educate members and the general public about the history, culture, and struggles of Palestinians, including the detention and abuse of children in the occupied Palestinian territory. So that, that, that's going to get to, uh, uh, that got referred to committee. So it still has a chance to come out, along with using digital communication to publish an article in NEA Today, recognizing the work done by our members fighting for the rights of Palestinian children and families. Number three publicly advocate for Palestinian children to have access to a quality education uh, while supporting their right to a safe and just future uh, and highlight the need for state and local affiliates to honor and protect the rights of members advocating for Palestinian human rights. So all about the, by the way, no, this is not the, this is not like for the Palestinian chapters or the local Palestinian union of the NEA that's, this is for American teachers. <laughs> this is what they, like you guys, you know, this is how you know you've gone too woke. This is how you know you've gone too far off the deep end on progressivism, on the virtue signaling and stuff. Like, like you're a math teacher. What, what what are you what are you doing here with this Palestinian issue? Look, you want to have the social justice uh, you know, mindset on your downtime, go for it. But if, you know, unless you're teaching some Palestinian-Israeli course, <laughs> I'm not really sure what that has to do with your job as an educator. Now, see, here I am disavowing and ignoring the intersectionality of all things, which is part of the uh, the CRT philosophy. Anyway, new business item 31, they did not pass this either. They wanted to encourage school districts to refocus their budgets to prioritize community policing. That got voted down. Uh, They also voted down a call for mandatory safe and effective COVID-19 vaccinations and testing for all students and staff before returning to -to face-to-face instruction in the fall. So, yeah, I think they read the tea leaves on that one and the polling, and they realized that is not the way to win parents back to your side is to threaten to close the schools yet again. That went down uh, at the NEA. What passed, here is a measure uh, to publicize uh, a call to end Title 42, the Trump-era racist policy of turning away immigrants at the southern border and forcing family separations. This is what the NEA sees its role as. Um Item 39, the NEA will share and publicize through existing channels information already available on critical race theory, what it is and what it is not. Have a team of staffers for members who want to learn more and fight back against anti-CRT rhetoric and share information with other NEA members as well as their community members. So here you go. This is and this was approved. This was approved. 
They want to provide an already created, in-depth study that critiques empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-ingenuity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society, and that we oppose attempts to ban critical race theory and or the 1619 Project. Well, why, why would you oppose attempts to ban it if it's not being used? Ah, it has been used. It is being used. You want to use it. So all the time when you were saying that it's not being used, you were lying about it being used. It is. And you want it to continue to be used. In fact, you want it to be used even more. You go, you're going to fight against people and organizations and legislatures who try to stop you from poisoning the minds of children with racial essentialist neo-Marxist BS. I got gotcha. you. I mean, good. Well, I mean, I welcome you laying your cards on the table. I appreciate that. It's good to see them. Um, also, good to see the Balkan family. Uh, when you call Balkan Roofing, you're going to talk to somebody who's probably a member of the family because it's family owned and operated as they have been for three generations. Uh, the Balkans are synonymous with roofing so much. So, I mean, they win awards. They're going to change the name of this award. I think the GAF folks, this is the roofing uh, shingle manufacturers biggest in North America, GAF. Uh, they have a, they call it the president's award. And it's like only 2% of all roofers even qualify to be considered to get this award. Balkans won it three times straight. I think they're, yeah, three or four times now. They're about they're about to name the next round, and chances are they're going to get, like, their fourth consecutive uh, award. So, like I said, they're going to start just calling it the Balkan Award, as they should, really. The Balkans know roofing, and by the way, they're great people, great customer service, and uh, they've been trying to absorb the cost of the material increases. In case you aren't aware, this has been a real thing. Thank you, Joe Biden. Um, so uh, if you are thinking about getting roof repairs done... Don't wait too long because they've absorbed a lot of these price increases over the last few months. But at some point, all of this stuff is going to get more expensive. So do it now. Uh, take advantage of the deals now and get financing through Balkan now. You can do it all. Go to BalkanRoofing.com. That's B-A-L-K-E-N Roofing.com. Or call 628-0390. That's 828-628-0390. Or BalkanRoofing.com. Uh, a couple other items here from the NEA's agenda. And again, we don't have the NEA officially, you know, collective bargaining in North Carolina. However, uh, the NCAE, right, they are an affiliate. And this is at a national level. The teachers unions at a national level, if they're all pushing in this one direction, you can guarantee that this stuff is going to filter down into all of the states and all the schoolhouses. And I would submit it's already there. I mean, you don't run these... Uh, resolutions like this and this was passed by the way you don't run this unless you already have that kind of um, critical mass of support inside the organization because it passed uh, what else as uh, part of that um, new business item number 39 publicly convey its support for the accurate and honest teaching of social studies topics, including truthful and age-appropriate accountings of unpleasant aspects of American history, such as slavery and the oppression and discrimination of indigenous, black, brown, and other peoples of color. 
as well as the continued impact this history has on our current society. The association will further convey that in teaching these topics, it is reasonable and appropriate for curriculum to be informed by academic frameworks for understanding and interpreting the impact of the past on current society, including critical race theory. Why? Okay. Why is critical race theory being taught at a K-12 level when it supposedly is just a legal framework that's really esoteric and niche and it's on a couple of campuses? You know, very, very few professors are actually, you know, they call them the crits. There are very few of them that are that actually exist. And like this was supposed to be some really limited, small idea just in a couple of law schools. Why would you be teaching any of it at K-12 level? Why all of a sudden is this now in your in your you know uh, agenda? Why would you be approving this position? You teach K-12. You don't teach college. You don't teach law school. This is out of your lane, NEA. Unless, of course, it hasn't been, right? And you've been lying about uh, people's concerns when they say, what is the CRT stuff you're teaching my kid? And they're like, oh, please, CRT, we're not doing that. That's at law school. It's like some really esoteric niche thing in some law schools. Very few people do it. You don't know what you're talking about, parent. Go back to work and pay my salary in taxes. What else are they going to do here as part of this agenda item? Join with Black Lives Matter at school. That's the name of the organization, apparently. BLMS, BLMAS, Black Lives Matter at school. As well as the Zinn Education Project. So it's definitely got the bona fides there. uh, To call for a rally this year on October 14th, George Floyd's birthday. So now we're going to have this as a national day of action to teach lessons about structural racism and oppression, followed by one day of action that recognizes and honors uh, lives taken, such as Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, and others. The National Education Association shall publicize these national days of action to all its members, including in its publication, NEA, today. What else? Okay, so those were all the items that got approved. These now got referred to the appropriate committee. And again, I'm just giving you a couple of the highlights. There were like 60 of these items, and I'm just giving you some of the big ones. Um So these are going to committee for further review, raise money for and create an awareness campaign to address the recent wave of state legislation that prohibits educators uh, and courses from including certain concepts and facts, because according to the lawmakers sponsoring the legislation, they have the potential to make some people uncomfortable. That's the anti-CRT legislation, which doesn't say you can't teach CRT. It doesn't. None of these bills say you cannot teach CRT. If you're looking at just the, okay, what is CRT? What does it espouse? How does it view things? Like if you're looking to just teach it, like you're going to teach in school, for example, Christianity, right? You're going to teach the historical relevance of Christianity or Islam or Judaism or something. And look, I I took history classes in school, in high school, and we had, uh, we went through Islam and the the pillars and all of that. We went through Christianity and the Crusades, and you learn all of this stuff. Um, And so if you're just going to teach CRT as part of that kind of, you know, model, this legislation, North Carolina and most of the other states, it doesn't actually ban the teaching of it. What it bans is the promotion of it. Just as you're not allowed to promote Christianity in K-12 education, right? Do you think the people who are pushing CRT might have a problem if the teachers were in there pushing Christianity? Do you think so? 
as the as the explanation for all things in society, all problems, this is your solution. It's Christianity, right? Do you think that maybe some of the folks who are so pro-CRT, do you think they might have a bit of a beef with the teacher who's pushing Christianity? Absolutely. They absolutely would. They have. They've sued over it, right? We've got tons of case law uh, over this kind of stuff because schools are coercive in nature. This was about the same thing about the... Uh, the reciting of the um, the Pledge of Allegiance. This is what the Supreme Court ruled, and it's correct. They said K-12 education is by definition a coercive environment. And so if you're going to force a kid to stand and recite the pledge, that is coerced speech. You can't do that. That was the ruling. That's where that came from. And so now you're trying to, uh, again, we're not trying to coerce speech. We're saying you cannot promote this particular theology. And it is CRT, this theory. You cannot promote this theology uh, as truth. You can examine it, but you cannot promote it as the truth. Okay, what else? Um, The NEA will encourage state and local affiliates to support efforts to unionize Amazon workers. (laughs) Wait (laughs) They're going <laughs> to, so they want, the NEA is going to send it to committee. Hmm, should we come out in support of the unionization of Amazon workers and to use existing means and communication tools to publicly communicate that support? So they're going to, they're going to study that. Um, I will give them credit for this. One of the very last items here that they uh, sent to committee. The NEA will, in accordance with resolution C-26, the Family Stability for Children policy, The NEA will pursue strategies to publicize the importance of fathers in the positive social-emotional development and greater academic success for students. Beginning in the fall of 2021, using existing communication resources, NEA will publicize the positive impact fathers have uh, for students. The NEA will publicize the following issues, demonstrating that the presence of a father during a child's life increases the likelihood of positive social-emotional development and academic success of students. One, less poverty. Two, higher graduation rates. Three, lower rates of incarceration. Four, fewer teen pregnancies. Five, fewer suicides. And six, lower rates of drug and alcohol abuse. So again credit where it is due the blind squirrel finding the nut the stopped clock being right twice a day kudos to the nea for finally recognizing the importance of fathers and specifically parents and more broadly non-governmental policy because that's what this is this is a this is a call for people to be better parents right that's what this is take an interest in your kids lives we cannot do all of this stuff alone you guys are responsible for raising these kids and this is going to give them the best shot at success in their lives all right uh that is a wrap for the episode thanks so much for listening i appreciate it and uh, don't break anything while i'm gone